The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.org or KUCITalk.org. I find this scientifically fascinating. You're listening to KUCI Irvine. Disengage this computer now. Broadcasting at 88.9 FM. Hello, computer. And on the web at KUCI.org. The most reliable computer ever made. And streaming through iTunes. Don't expect any mercy during the Great Robot Wars. Anteater Radio brought to you by machines. Returning to normal broadcast in free. Two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to UCI Conversations, a weekly public affairs program dedicated to exploring everything in the land of blue and gold with interviews of UCI leaders, innovators, and last but not least, Zot, 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 everyday anteaters. Hello, everybody. This is UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer. And my very special guest today is UCI Law School Dean Song Richardson. She came to the UCI Law School in 2014 and became Dean in January of 2018. She will soon be departing the land of blue and gold for the mountains of the Midwest on July 1st, 2021, she will become president of Colorado College in Colorado Springs at the foot of Pikes Peak. Song Richardson may be about five feet tall or so, but she is a giant when it comes to fighting for what she believes in. She is thorough, articulate, passionate, and she speaks from the heart. She has been a public defender not only in court, but also at the podium fighting against structural systemic racism as well as conscious and unconscious bias. I am honored to have her on the show. Welcome, Dean Richardson. How are you today? Kevin, thank you so much for an incredible and gracious introduction. I really appreciate it, and I'm doing well, and it's a pleasure to be here with you. Thanks for the invitation. Good to hear. Good to have you. I definitely want to talk about your time at UCI and beyond, but for those that do not know, could you just tell us where you grew up and what did you like to do when you were a kid? Sure. So I grew up on military bases. I spent most of my time in a military base. My dad was in the Army in Massachusetts, but we moved around quite a bit uh, when I was young. And I just loved growing up on Army bases because the, the base itself was so incredibly uh, diverse. Um, and I realized how lucky I was growing up in that sort of environment. And then in terms of what I liked doing when I was a kid, I didn't have much choice actually in what, <laughs> what I did because <laughs> my very strong-willed Korean mom made me practice the piano. <laughs> so, so that's what I did. <laughs> And so I appreciated the days off I had, which was essentially one day before classes started uh, where I didn't have to practice. And that feeling of freedom has, is so incredible to me still. I remember it. So that's what I enjoyed, that one day off. <laughs> yeah. For those that do not know, a, a couple things. Um, I have a close personal friend that's Korean, 
And she actually married a gentleman, uh, uh, well, a white guy in the military. And her mm. mom was just strongly opinionated like that, she, you know, a Korean mom, boy, that is a force to contend with. And uh, um, so, you know, unless you have met a Korean mom or, or, you know, know that culture, you really don't know it until you are exposed to it. So, Well, my mom was certainly an incredible woman. I mean, an incredible woman. When I think about her being a Korean immigrant coming to this country and all that she was able to accomplish and what a strong woman she was. She's been just such a role model to me. Um, and if I can be even half as strong and half as committed as she continues to be in, in her life, I would be very lucky. Oh, she's an amazing so, woman. So she's still with us? She is. She oh. is. She lives in Hawaii. So it's been nice to be close to her. Um, after my father passed away, uh, she moved from Massachusetts to Hawaii. Uh, my parents used to go there in the deadly winters of Massachusetts. And so once he passed, she moved there and she loved the outdoors and she's yeah. in way better shape than I am. <laughs> so, wow. Wow. so yeah. yes, if you saw her, you'd think she was my sister, <laughs> my younger wow. sister. Wow. So, and you did become quite an accomplished pianist. Can you, <laughs> and you didn't just mess around with a little bit of practice. Can you share like how much you did practice? Sure. Yes. And, you know, and what's incredible to me is my mom's commitment to, to me and to my two younger brothers, because she sat, she would literally sit next to me as I practiced. So on school nights, it was about depending on how much homework. And I remember I used to make up homework so that I could try to lessen <laughs> the time I was practicing. <laughs> but it would be about, you know, for the four to six hours, depending on how much homework I had on school nights, and then eight to 10 on weekends. My gosh, that is the most practicing. <laughs> uh, I mean, you, uh, I'm just kind of speechless. And plus, now your mom didn't sit there the whole time, right? Well, she sat there for most of it, except for when she would get up. Our kitchen was right next door to the, right. it was basically the same space where the piano was. <clears throat> so if she wasn't sitting there, she was cooking in the kitchen and, you know, humming along and right. helping me. Yeah. <laughs> so she, she was there the whole time. Right. I had a similar Amazing situation. I actually was a stay-at-home dad and my son played piano. And, uh, oh, great. He, and he was marvelously he had a true talent, like just a natural talent. It was like, do you, you know, I tell my wife, do you hear that? But I, you know, you have all your other stuff going. I'm amazed that your mom could sit there sometimes because there's so many things to yep. do. Right. And um, so anyway, he, he, he did. Well, that's what I mean about her. But so yeah. did you, so did you sit with him, your, your son? Or I did never, you, you know, like, I never did. I'm not sure if, if, you know, I wasn't Korean, so I didn't quite have the gift of like, I don't care what you think <laughs> you're going to play. And I'm going to sit here. <laughs> so, uh, and he eventually, you know, quit and it, it, he regrets it to this day. And, uh, yeah. it, but it was a great pleasure, but you actually went to Juilliard, right? To study music. No, no. I, I ended up not going there. I was trying to decide in my senior year, whether I was going to continue with music or, 
go to a liberal arts college. And, oh. and the other dream that my mom had for me was to, you know, to, to go to Harvard. And so that's what I ended up doing. I made a choice to stop gotcha. with the piano after my first year, after my freshman year. And so, uh, so that was in high school that you were making that choice. Yeah. Gotcha. So that must have been really was it really difficult? It seems like it would be. You, you've dedicated much it, of your life to it. Yeah, but it wasn't because I was so ready to do something else. You were. I was so ready to do something else. And so because, and I, like your son, I actually regret, not the choice, but the fact that I just stopped playing right. after my freshman year. I, I just stopped. And so now I sit at the piano and I am trying to build back up. I'll never be where I used to be, but, yeah. but I enjoy it now because it's for myself. But if I had just done what my mom said, right, which was just practice once a week, I wouldn't have lost what I had, but yeah. I didn't do that. And so now I'm relearning <laughs> and, and I love it. Now, now I truly love it. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, and you mean, you were a name song, so... <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's a coincidence. It's my mom's name. It's her oh, Korean Oh, is that name. right? <laughs> it just happens to translate. Yep. Okay. So uh, then you went, to, you went to Harvard for your undergrad. Yep. And was that yes. in psychology? Or? Yes, that, exactly. Okay. I majored in psychology and, and loved it. Did you know that you would go to law school when you were in undergrad? I, I knew by the... By the end, so by my junior and senior year, I, I didn't know before then, and I was so deathly afraid of public speaking and so unbelievably shy that I never would have imagined I'd end up a lawyer. But I ended up working for some lawyers doing discrimination work in Massachusetts. And once I saw the type of work that they were doing, I knew that I wanted to be a civil rights lawyer like them. Mm. And so that's when I made the decision towards the end of my uh, time. Gotcha. And did you go straight to Yale for law school? No, I ended up taking two years off. So I spent one year working as a nanny in France. And the only reason I ended up there is because people kept telling me I couldn't do it. And so <laughs> if someone had said you could have done it, yeah. I probably wouldn't have gone, right? Because I was scared <laughs> to, to take off by myself to go to a country where I barely spoke the language. So I'm really happy that people told me it was a bad choice and it would be dangerous to do because that's what forced me to go. <laughs> if someone tells me I can't do something, I will do it. And I loved it. And then I came back Where in France? the second year and worked, oh, Toulouse, Southern France. Oh, okay. Beautiful. I loved it. Oh, my gosh. So I was there for a year, came back, worked as a paralegal in a law firm in Boston mm -hmm. for the second year and then went to law school. Did you feel really comfortable? Like, yeah, I'm exactly. Where Not I'm at all. Be. Not at all. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Not <laughs> <laughs> Not at all, which is why for me, it's so important to try to create an environment at UCI Law where students don't feel the way that I felt in law school, right? I completely felt like an imposter. I couldn't figure out how they made such a mistake to admit me. It, it was hard. But by my second and third years of law school, I, I lived in the clinic where we as students would provide free legal services to people in need. And that's what I loved. And so that, that's where I lived. <laughs> and, and that's where 
law school began to make sense for me. And I remembered why I was there and then began to really enjoy it. Super. Excuse me for a moment, Song, while I update our audience. Uh, If you joined us late, you're listening to UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossemeyer, and my guest today is UCI Law School Dean Song Richardson. And we're just taking a walk through her career and how she got to UCI. And right now, you've graduated from Yale Law School and... Then, you know, how does your career develop? As I mentioned, I went to law school because I wanted to be a civil rights lawyer and I wanted to practice immigration law. So I had my job all set up. I had a, something called a Skadden Public Interest Fellowship to do it. Um, but the one thing that happened in my last, literally my last semester of law school, I had this professor who taught a class in capital punishment and race and the and, and capital punishment. And I still can't figure out why I signed up for that class, but I did. And it changed the course of my career because I knew then that I wanted to do criminal defense work. For me, that was the civil rights um, fight of, of my life. And so I worked in immigration for two years, and then I started uh, at the NAACP Legal Defense Fund in New York, representing people who were on death row in their habeas appeals. Then I became a federal public defender and then a state public defender and then a short time in a boutique criminal law practice um, before I started to teach. So I worked for almost a decade as a, as a practicing lawyer before becoming a law professor, wow. which is not a typical path <laughs> to becoming a law professor. <laughs> so what is a typical path? Do people just usually go right into academia or? or... Um, A typical path and and it's changing a bit now, but a a typical path would be to spend two years often working. A typical path would be to clerk for a judge, um, often a federal court judge, and then work at a law firm for a couple of years and then be hired at a law school. So that would be your, your, your typical path. And I remember when I started to teach, or the only re- reason I got into teaching is in the course of being a criminal defense lawyer, I would do a lot of training for lawyers. And one of the people I trained with was a clinical professor at a law school. And she reached out to me to ask me if I'd be interested in visiting for a semester because they, they had a need. And I thought, why not? And I started teaching and I loved it. And then they ended up hiring me. But during the process of being hired, I hadn't written anything, right? That's the other thing that people do. You have to write before you get hired most often. I hadn't done that. I'd been in practice for way too long. So people thought she's tainted by practice. She won't be able to think like a scholar. And so, and that still happens today, right? If you haven't written anything, if you don't have the typical sort of background, it's really hard to become a law professor. And I'm always pushing for us to think more broadly because I know what my own experience is like. And I really believe that people are more than whatever their metrics might be or whatever their past might be. I I just believe that it's my own life. I've seen it too often. And so I'm always pushing for us to think bigger, think differently. And our law school has really done remarkable work in thinking that way, right? There's still traditions that exist. And so there's certain constraints. But part of what attracted me to UCI is that we're different. And your first teaching job, wasn't that at DePaul? Mm -hmm. The funny thing about DePaul is that's where the former dean also started his career. Oh, 
also Erwin Chemerinsky, <laughs> also started at DePaul. Uh, and then one of our faculty members, Michelle Goodwin, one of our incredible faculty members, also was at DePaul. So there's a real DePaul connection to UCI Law. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. And but where, I loved it there. Where else did you teach before you came to UCI? There were a number of places. Yes. So I taught at American University in Washington, D.C., and then I taught at the University of Iowa immediately before coming to UCI. And you loved Iowa, right? I loved Iowa. I didn't think that I would. I, I, when I first moved to Iowa, I visited there um, as a professor. They invited me for a semester, and that's when I knew that I would really love it. But, uh, yeah, and I didn't expect to, obviously, yeah. or maybe you know, I shouldn't just, say obviously. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if we've mentioned this so far in the interview, but you're half Korean, half black, and that yep. doesn't seem like the typical Iowa um, <laughs> ethnic background. Um, and it, well, I, I say that my wife's family is from Iowa, so I do know a little bit about Iowa. Okay. But what, you know, what, what, what well, was it that you loved about it so much? Yeah, so it was Iowa City, which is a, a typical college town. So that's where the University of Iowa is. And within the first week of visiting, <clears throat> excuse me, at the law school there, I found right in their downtown, well, their pedestrian mall. I don't really want to call it downtown. It wasn't that big. A Korean restaurant. It's an oasis. I just loved every part of it. So they, there was a large Asian community there. I already mentioned the Korean restaurant there. Many of the professors who teach at the university would retire and stay in Iowa City. So it's such a vibrant, intellectual, cultured place. I, I, I really enjoyed it there. I loved my colleagues there, my friends there. It, it's a great place. Wow. Except for the cold and the snow and the... <laughs> right, right. Um, how long were you there? I was there for two years. Okay. And were you married to your, your yes. husband at that point? So, And he's from, I was. kind of from that area, no? He's from the Midwest. So he grew up on a farm in Ohio. And so it felt very comfortable. He loved it there too. Oh, it was okay. a very comfortable place for both of us. It was tough to leave. I, I actually would not have left the University of Iowa for any other school but UCI wow. because I had followed UCI. I knew everything about UCI law. This was the place I wanted to be and felt so grateful when uh, they reached out for me to interview with them. Yeah. Well, and is UCI truly unique amongst law schools or, you know, is it a niche that not very many law schools are about? And what is that niche? Mm -hmm. I think UCI is truly unique. And, and I think one of our challenges moving forward, because we've had such success, is to continue to push the envelope on what a legal education means and, and how we can do it differently. And, and so the reason I think that it's unique is when, when the school started, it would be 11 years ago now, there was no reason to start a new law school unless you wanted to think differently about legal education. And people who started our law school came from top 20 law schools. So why leave, right? A top 20, very cushy job to go essentially to a startup. And so everyone who started our school had to have a real innovative mindset because otherwise they could have just stayed where they came from. And that, that 
innovation, that drive to be different, the drive to care deeply about diversity, equity, and inclusion, the ensuring that many law schools have basically a two-tiered system of faculty. You have the scholarly faculty, and then you have the faculty who teach students how to be lawyers, right? Like the practical skills that you need to be lawyers. We don't have that at UCI because we realize it's all important. So all the faculty, whether you teach in the clinic, teaching students how to represent clients, whether you're teaching them how to be lawyers, how to write and think and interview, or you're teaching a subject in a more scholarly way, we treat our faculty equally. And we all have big dreams about pushing the envelope on legal education. That, that is what we do. That's what we're known for. And then it's our commitment to social justice and public service that also helps to define who we are. So we have a very strong reputation across the country for being a law school that treats all of our faculty equally, that cares about social justice, that cares about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and that provides research and service for the public because we care very much about that too. And so we really are different. Yeah. Yeah. So in your first three years or so, mm-hmm. you were teaching, right? At UCI. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, and and yes. what were you teaching? So my subjects were everything crime related. <laughs> so criminal law, criminal procedure, law and social science, because I, I write in the areas of, of law and psychology and implicit bias, race and the law and policing. So that those were the, the primary areas. And now I teach, I added a class in AI because that's another area of interest for me. And so I'm teaching a class right now on, on that subject. And when did you start to move into, a, were you an assistant dean or, or did I have Ah, yes. And so you mean my path to becoming the yeah, dean? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yes. <laughs> no, no, I knew what you were getting at. Um, so, uh, you know, just like I never expected to be a law professor, I never ever expected to be a dean. And Erwin, the former dean, asked me one year to become his senior associate dean. And the only reason I agreed to do it is because I just wanted to work closely with him. I respected him so much. I shared his values and beliefs. And so I wanted to work closely with him. And so I said that I would take on the position. But I also made it clear to him that I never wanted to be dean, right? Because positions like that are are typically stepping stones into becoming a dean and following that path. And I had zero interest in doing that. So (laughs) I was as shocked as everyone else when I said yes to becoming the interim dean. (laughs) It wasn't my plan for myself, (laughs) for sure. What is it about... um... Professor Chimerinsky that you, you know, so <laughs> admire. And, and, and I know when the UCI law school started that he was a somewhat controversial pick. <laughs> uh, can, can you, you know, just, just describe what, yes. that, you know, why? And, um, and I would imagine probably some of those reasons are what you admire too. So probably. So I, you know, I, I wasn't here when, when he was, 
picked, obviously, and I only know about uh, wh- why his pick was controversial just from hearing it from from other people. But but you're right. Like what I admire about Irwin is just his very strong values and beliefs in social justice, in creating a a more diverse and equitable world, and his steely backbone when it comes to speaking the truth, speaking, I I, I won't even say his truth, and never backing down from supporting and fighting for the causes and subjects and rights that he believes in. He will never back down, right? He is relentless. And at the same time, he's very kind and open and respectful to hearing other people's points of view. And having those two qualities in one person is unusual, I think. So that's what I respect so much about him. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, the UCI Conversation Show. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer, and my guest is Dean and Chancellor's Professor of Law, Song Richardson. After what appears to be an amazing seven years at UCI, on July 1st, 2021, she will become president of Colorado College. Right now in the interview, Song talks about immigration and her motivation to help those in need. Professor, you you've talked about your you know immigration law has been a you know, part of your expertise. When I look at you know our immigration policy and situation, and you know, this is like a huge you know area, right? It's, it seems like right. Donald Trump was elected on that issue, mm-hmm. and is reasonable balanced immigration policy. Is that something that you consider? Is it like, no, you don't? I mean, can you comment on that? Does that make any sense? Um, yeah, yes. Yeah, yes, it does. And so I, I, I think people's definitions of what is reasonable will likely very much differ. And what, what I will say is just think about the immigrants make up our country. And I, and I think we forget about that, right? And so we create this us and them situation in our country. And I, I don't think, I, I don't agree with that. Um, I don't think it's a zero sum game, right? I think we should embrace and open our country to our immigrants. I mean, from the very beginning up until now, immigrants contribute so much to our economy, to the vibrancy of our country, and, and the, the sometimes you know, hateful nature of the way that we treat immigrants from certain countries is disturbing to me. And so I just don't agree with that. And of course, I'm a daughter of an immigrant, too. <laughs> and, and most of us are, right? All of us, actually. Most of us, not all of us, but most of us are right. children of immigrants. Right. So you were not going to become dean, but then you did. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what, so I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, it's the same story of how I became the president of Colorado College, which I also never imagined doing. And, and one of the most impactful conversations I had before accepting the interim deanship, which is how this all started, was a student 
who was also my research assistant, who knew my entire background. And she and I had a conversation and what she said to me, which though her words have, have rung in my mind now for every decision I make moving forward, because what she said was, you know, Professor, when I look back at what you've done in your life, the common theme is things, opportunities present themselves to you that you never imagined and you say yes to them. Right. So becoming a criminal defense lawyer, going to law school, becoming a law professor, <clears throat> uh, being a senior associate dean. And so when she said that, she was right. And, you know, and I thought to myself, it's only being an interim dean. What do I have to lose? And our chancellor, when I had a conversation with him, when I was trying to decide, because I initially said, no, I don't want to become the interim dean. He said the same thing. He said, you know, I felt the same way too before becoming chancellor and why not just try it, take a risk. And so I did. And it, it turned out that the job that I thought being dean was and the actual job of being the dean were two very different things. And the actual job of being dean is something I, I really enjoyed, which is why I threw my hat in the ring to become the permanent dean. Mm-hmm. And, and just you know, seeing from YouTube and, and the, the things that you are involved with, you seem like just a natural fit. Oh, that's so nice of you to say. Thank you very much. <laughs> I appreciate that. And you're you're always prepared. And do you work twenty four seven? And the only reason I. <laughs> I, it seems like I do too, so I'm not saying that as a judgment. <laughs> I'm, I'm <laughs> Good, to, okay. I'm trying to figure out how to have a balanced life. You know, I could not agree with you more, Kevin, on the importance of that. And I think living in the challenging times in which we're living right now has demonstrated to me the importance of that because we can't do what we do. You can't do what you do. I can't do what I do. Our, our students, our staff, our faculty, none of us could continue doing what we do at the level that we expect of ourselves if we don't take care of ourselves first and our family and our loved ones. So it's actually going through this challenging time that I have realized I can't simply say to everyone at the law school, that they have to take care of themselves and their mental health if I don't model that myself. And so in some ways, this experience has helped me bring more balance to my life because I realize if I want to do, you know, everything that I, the high ambitions that I have for the school, I have to take care of myself too. And if I don't do that, others won't do it either. And so it's been a remarkable time, even in that respect. Can you share any examples of that where you step back? Sure. Yes. I think the the main change, at least for myself, is now I have decided and I don't skip a day because it is so important to me. I'll get up very early. So there's a certain period at night where I will no longer read my emails because people know to contact me if there's something I need to know about. But otherwise, there's a certain point where I just won't do it because I need to get sleep. And then I'll get up really early and without fail before I open my phone, before I you know, get online and do all of that, I will meditate, do yoga, 
and write in my journal. And those three things, you know, about the things that I'm grateful for, to remind myself of how fortunate I am, despite the fact that there's so much going on. And just doing those four things, right, not checking my email after a certain period of time and having that routine that I engage in every morning has made such a significant difference in in my mindset. And people told me to do this, right, for decades. Right. <laughs> and I would laugh and say, are you, that's ridiculous. Like, I don't have time to do that. And now my, my question is, and I say this to everyone I can, how can I not make time to do this? Because mm. if I don't do this, I won't be as effective in, in being the dean. And so I hope I keep it up, but, but it's been, <laughs> I have for a while now, and it's made a significant difference. You know, you're such a positive person, Dean. Is <laughs> Oh, I'm so happy for you to say that. <laughs> I don't know if I agree, but thank you. You know, yeah. You, you know, can you give any examples of, you know, adversity that you had to, you know, just grind through or, or, or I don't know, is there, because I think so often students will see professors and deans like, oh, they, they were just a natural fit and they never have any problems. Oh, wow. Every day, every day, right? And it goes up and down. I mean, there are some things that will happen at the law school that are really big and enormous hurdles. And then there's just the day to day. So trying to think of some specific examples. Um, and maybe I am an optimist because when things happen, you know, I'll, I'll deal with it with the remarkable people that I work with. And then we move on. And so I, I guess what I'll just say is I have lived my whole life feeling like an imposter, right? Feeling like I'm not good enough, feeling like it's a mistake that I'm here doing this work. And yet I realize because I know why I'm doing it, I know what my values are, what my beliefs are. That's what drives me. And I'm willing to take risks and fail. And I fail all the time, but I'm willing to do it. And, and, and so I don't focus on the failures, right? I, I try to learn from them and I don't like to fail. Like, don't, don't get me wrong. I don't like to make mistakes. Um, but, but I realize to do the things that I care about, to move the world forward in ways that I care about in terms of diversity, inclusion, belonging, equity, um, and, and, prop, and, and help bring people up and provide them with opportunities. I have to be willing to put myself in really difficult situations and to fail and to be criticized and to take feedback. And, and literally that happens every day. And people who are listening, if they're at the law school, they know what, the, what our challenges are. <laughs> right? they, they, they know the things that we have to address and deal with. But it certainly is not the case that everything I do is successful or works out or that I don't suffer from the same you know, self-doubts that I think many people have. It, it, it's part of life. It's part of growth, learning how to how to accept those parts of myself and yet continue to move on. Got it. So can you share with us, I see that in 2020 you were appointed by governor Newsom to the California penal code revision committee. Is, is that, 
Yes. Uh, are you, is, is that an active committee or can, can you describe what that is? It is. Yes. So our penal code in California, all of the laws under which people can be criminally prosecuted is enormous and has so many problems. And so what Governor Newsom decided to do was to bring together a a committee made up of judges and legislators and law professors, deans. And so I was appointed to that committee, just given my own background as a criminal law scholar. And that committee is remarkable. We held public hearings. Every, all of our work was, it was in public. We would take testimony about different aspects of the penal code. And then we just issued and, and then debate what changes we should recommend to the governor. So we just issued our first set of, of recommendations. And it was incredible to work with an amazing group. Um, of people who were on the committee with me, and then to hear from a really diverse group of uh, witnesses, from law enforcement to people who worked at nonprofit organizations, sharing all of their research and information with us. And so I'm really, one of the things that makes me sad is to have stepped down from that committee since I'm leaving, because I really enjoyed the work that we were doing, and it was important work. Gotcha. Dean, can you was it difficult? Was it a difficult decision? It it seems like from the outside looking in, it's like, how can she leave? What you know at UCI and, and your work in the legal world, it, it just seems like you, you're a fish in water. <laughs> I mean, not that you'll be out of water in your new role, but oh, I will be out of water. <laughs> you, I, I, you know, you're one of the. Truly remarkable. It's like she is just so much in her element. She and and you can sell, see how passionate and and how much you you really love and care about your work. That must have been hard to step away from, was it not? Very, 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 very hard. Even even today, it, it's still hard, right? Like I I, I don't. I don't regret the decision. It was the right decision, um, but it doesn't mean that it was an easy decision at all. And the irony of it is part of what attracted me to Colorado College is how much or how similar they are to UCI law. That is in in almost every way. Like when I, I kept getting contacted by them and I kept saying, no, I'm not interested. No, I'm not interested. And then as I mentioned to you before, what my RA, my research assistant said to me about becoming Dean, right? I remembered that again. And I thought I should at least explore this. It's coming to me for some reason. Let me explore it. And, and when I did, it's when I realized that they are UCI law in a liberal arts college. Everything that I care about, about UCI law are things that they care about at the college level. And I, I never thought that I, I would leave the law, never. And as I thought more about the liberal arts and I thought more about engaging with college students to, to do the same things we're doing at law, but to, but to start earlier, that's exciting to me. It's exciting to me to, to have an impact on, on college students. And so I uh, made the really difficult decision to go to a, another remarkable place 
And I really hope to build connections between Colorado College and UCI Law. So you, you haven't seen the last of me. <laughs> well, that's, that's great news. Back. That's good to hear. <laughs> You're listening to UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer. And my guest is UCI Law School Dean Song Richardson, who will leave UCI in June to become president of Colorado College on July 1st, 2021. In this point in the interview, we talk about the pride she has in her school. Is there any examples of, you know, we've talked a lot about UCI so far, but, uh, you know, mm -hmm. particular things that you're particularly proud of? Yeah, I, I, I think just as a global matter, I am, I'm really proud of the way, just recently, the way that our, our students, our staff, and our faculty have not lost sight of our vision, of our values, and of our belief in a remarkably difficult time, right? So typically, when, when things are hard, it is very easy to, to abandon the things that you say you, you believe in. We didn't do that. And what I mean by that is our students have continued to engage in even more pro bono and public service and social justice work at a time when they are challenged and suffering a lot, right? And that, but yet they have continued to care about our world. Our faculty haven't had a break since March, right? Well, a year ago when we started sheltering in place and they had to rethink how they taught so that they, they could teach our students effectively in a remote environment. I, the amount of work that our faculty put in to do that while also still being engaged in research to better serve our, our communities has been inspiring. And then our staff and our staff leadership they have worked nonstop, night and day, 24-7 in these incredibly challenging times, right, where things are changing week by week, and they have to be available week by, you know, 24-7 for our students and for our faculty. It has been remarkable. I am so inspired and grateful to work at such an incredible place with um, amazing colleagues and students. That's the thing that makes me proud, right? It's like everything that we stand for our community has continued to do during this time. Does UCI law have a, are there sister schools or, you know, you know, where you, you that we have a you know, special bond with, or does it work like that? Uh, not, not really. I mean, we, we, our, our faculty collaborate with, with faculty at, uh, at, at different law schools, but no, not one school is, is a real sister school at least in the U.S. We have signed some memorandums of understanding with some law schools in Korea, for instance, at other schools across the world where we share students, for instance, or their students will be sent here, but not anything, not anything like that in the law school world. And have you already found a, a, a home in, in is it Colorado Springs? Where yes, it's Colorado Springs. And luckily, I don't need to because I'll be living in the president's home. Oh, all right. <laughs> I forgot about that. Kevin, your response was mine. When, when I was thinking, where am I going to live? And they said, oh, no, no, there's a president's home. I said, 
Oh, well, that makes things really easy. <laughs> right, right, right. Very good. How about, what, uh, will the transition be, um, you know, does it, is it literally like July 1st is what, you know, nothing yep. happens till July 1st or so it, is it? It's oh, pretty, you know, or does that start? No, it starts before. So officially July 1. But I've already, you know, unofficially been doing two jobs, really, right? Really? Mostly at, at UCI Law, but I'm certainly, I have the type of personality where I'm not going to wait till July 1, right? Yeah. So on the weekends and at other times, I'm, I'm researching, getting up to speed, talking to people at Colorado College just to have the slow ramp up to that right. and right. learning as much as I can, right, about liberal arts and the challenges of a liberal arts education right now and the similarities and differences to the, the legal profession and legal education. So it's, it's fascinating because I love, love learning new things yeah, and doing yeah. new things. Yeah. So. Any, any initial goals that you can describe at this point? Um, gosh, that's such a great question, Kevin. My initial goal and, and probably the most important goal is just to, I, I know a lot about CC and, and its values because that's what attracted me to them. And now for me, the most important thing is to get to know the community and the culture. Because to be a, a president, just like to be a dean, really my job is to empower everyone around me. And I really want to get a sense of what are their, and I have you know, a real sense of what their goals are, what their values are, but to get to know the people is the top priority to understand its history, to understand the people, to understand what they want out of me and of the school. That's my top priority. It, it's really interesting. You, you know, I, I don't think most people think, you know, I, I think the general public thinks, well, there's the school over there. And then, you, you know, you have your business community and you kind of think they're quite separate. But when you, when you start to, well, for one thing, being an interviewer and talking to professors and deans and vice chancellors, how not at all is it separate? It's very integrated because, mm -hmm. you, you know, you need financial support. You, you need to, yep. you know, be, be a valuable member of the community. It's, it's very integrated. It, it is, uh, Completely. Do, do I, do I, yeah. I so, agree with you. What an incredible opportunity. It does seem very exciting. Wow. wow. It's, it's bittersweet, right? I am very excited to go and extremely sad to leave this UCI community, which is really special. And then the external community, like to your point that you just mentioned, right? The Orange County community itself has been such an inspiring, welcoming, and supportive community to me personally and to the law school that it's going to be hard to leave. It really is. It's very hard to go. On a lighter side, do you, in your spare time, do you, do you have hobbies or is that possible? <laughs> I love puzzles, oh. <laughs> puzzles, reading, uh, mysteries. I really love that. And then when, when we're able to, you know, be outside and, and, and do that, I, I really like adrenaline type sports or not even sports, they're not sports, you know, th things like um, zip lining, rappelling. Oh. Oh, okay. I haven't actually jumped out of a plane yet, 
skydiving. I haven't done that yet, but but that's on the bucket list. But things like that, I, I really like. <laughs> oh, wow. And then eating, if that counts. <laughs> I don't know if eating counts, <laughs> but I love to eat. <laughs> that's a great sport. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> How about you in terms of finishing up at UCI? Is there anything mm-hmm. um, on your plate that you're like, yeah, this is definitely something that I'm, this is a goal of mine that I want to complete before I leave? I, 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 yeah, not, not anything specific. Um, it's really more that I, I want to ensure that when I leave, I leave the school in as good a, a position that, that it was in when I became the dean when I started. That That's important to me so that people within the committee, again, because for me, it's all about the, the people, right? Our students, our faculty, our staff, ensuring that throughout this transition, they continue to feel supportive and excited and uh, hopeful about the remarkable future that that we'll continue to have. So that's what's important to me and the way what it looks like, you know, changes in the world we're living right now day to day. (laughs) Right. Well, Dean, thank you so much, Dean Richardson. We really appreciate the time that you spent today and we wish you all the best in your transition and going into your new, exciting, amazing, dynamic job as president of Colorado College. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you again to UCI Law School Dean L. Song Richardson for her wonderful tour of her life from growing up on military bases and spending so much of her time on the piano bench becoming a concert pianist to Harvard and then Yale Law School, becoming a public defender and then gradually making her way to academia. But the story does not end there. She then went on to become an outstanding law school dean at UCI, and now on July 1st, 2021, she will assume her new position as president of Colorado College. Wow. Big congratulations to Dean Richardson and warm, warm best wishes. If you enjoyed this interview as much as I did, Google UCI, What Matters to Me and Why, and click on View Videos of Past Speakers. Song Richardson did an outstanding job in that speaker series, and I highly recommend watching it. Thank you as well to Fred Kaplan, piano man extraordinaire, for all my show theme music from his exceptional CD, Signifying. He's the best. Now, coming up next at 5 p.m. is Entrepreneur Nation with Ash Kumra, the show that looks at common business problems with local business executives to help you with your business. Stay tuned. You're listening to UCI Conversations, where every week we explore another corner of the land of blue and gold with interviews of UCI leaders, innovators, and zot, 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 everyday anteaters. All messages can be directed to me at kboss at kuci.org. And this interview and all my past interviews can be accessed at my podcast website at www.bossenmeyer.com. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer, reminding you not to let your guard down with COVID. Keep socially distancing and wearing double masks and get that vaccine as soon as you can. Happy trails. We will see you next week. So long, everybody.